1: You need to look at the words and look at the depth of the words and see, Lord, that has ministered to the church for generation upon generation upon generation. Why isn't it ministering to me? Maybe there's a prejudice within my heart that says, no, it's got to be hip. It's got to be rocking. It's got to be jamming before it really ministers to me. I believe that we, just all of us as a people, we have so much to learn about worship. I think the sad thing that's happening in the Christian church today in a lot of cases is the professionalism of worship, just the professionalism of worship.
0: Have you ever had times when you weren't too impressed with the worship at the service you attended? Maybe because it wasn't your favorite leader, you didn't get as much out of it as you usually do. Pastor David wants to remind us to meet with God during worship. If we're actually entering a state of worship towards God Almighty, then whoever is on the microphone won't matter. We're not there as music critics. We're there to meet with God, and nothing should hold us back from that. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 4 with today's edition of The Open Word.
1: Revelation chapter 4. Last week, we actually touched on a few things that we're going to be covering this evening. I uh, had a little extra time last week and kind of went forward a little bit, but knowing that I wanted to cover some of those areas a little bit more. So the main thing I want you to see in this section that we're going to be covering tonight is that heaven is going to be a place of continual and perpetual worship. And so before we get into this section, I just want to take a couple of moments just to to speak about the state of worship in the church today. Okay. Now, we have a variety of music here, and I love having a variety of music. I love having the old mixed with the new. The psalmist declared, sing a new song unto the Lord. So I don't think we need to continually be singing the old songs, but yet the old songs, they're such rich heritage, they're such rich doctrine. I think that the new generation needs to learn the old and the... The well-advanced in years, isn't that how Zachariah said it? The well-advanced in years, we need to learn the new. And you know how it is. is It's difficult sometimes, depending upon what kind of a background you come from. You might come from church background where the worship was, you had a hymnal because that gave you something to do with your hands, because you didn't dare raise them in that church, and so you, you held on to that hymnal with everything you had. You might have come from a church that, man, it was just all over the place. And there was there was raising hands and there was clapping and there was just people in the aisles and all kinds of stuff. Maybe, you know, from one extreme to the other. But which one of those really is worship? They both can be. Because it's really not the position of the body as much as it is the attitude of the heart. We can come in and we can be an individual who's personality is really reserved and you might sing the songs and you know them and you're looking at the words and you're singing them but nobody hears you around and you're not a hand raiser you're not a hand clapper but man those words just really minister to the very depth of your heart and you could almost be in tears and you haven't hardly moved on the outside at all. Well at the same time on the far end of the spectrum there can be somebody that's man their hands are everywhere they're clapping everything they're singing the songs and it gets no further than the clapping of the hands and the noise that they make. I would much rather have somebody reserved and singing softly and the music touching the depth of their heart than somebody just whoa yeah yeah oh man that's great oh that's awesome man yeah yeah great and and nothing Happening really on the inside. Now, the best thing is to kind of blend the two, okay? Okay. I think we can be excited about worship at times. I believe that there should be at times also just those times of reserve, just, just worship before the Lord. Think about this for a moment. Does it sometimes upset you when you see somebody worshiping different than you? Isn't it kind of distracting when you see somebody there just all over the place and you're not an all over the place kind of person? I know a great way to fix it. Close your eyes. <laughs> Close your eyes. And sit as far up front as you can. If you notice me, uh, I don't know if you notice me, but I'm usually up front and my eyes are usually closed. If stuff happens during the worship time, Robert lets me know later, okay? You know, something strange and bizarre happens. Because I don't want to be interrupted. And if somebody is, okay, please don't take too much offense at this, or don't take any offense because it's not really meant to be offensive. I used to, because I was a a music minor in college and education major, and I used to get really irritated when I heard people singing, like, really (laughs) off-key. Or I knew when to clap, and they didn't. Okay? Because whatever I'm clapping is the right way, right? Okay? So, and anybody that's different than that, then they're wrong. You know, but the Lord is just changing my heart in that, and he has been changing it for years. The fact that, man, I just want to see people and hear people Worship the Lord with the fullness of heart and allow the Lord to minister to them. Heaven is going to be a place of continual and perpetual worship. This is practice right here. And some of us need more practice than others. I understand that. Okay? So we come together during these times of praise and worship. And some people get irritated because... I don't know that song and it's a new song and it's one of those loud songs with the drums and all the kind of crazy things. And you know what? Chill. Just chill. And give that to the Lord. And if you come in and you say, oh, not that song again. That old song, that went out with, you know, Abraham Lincoln stove top hats, you know. They're singing that again. You know what? You need to chill. And you need to look at the words and look at the depth of the words and see, Lord, that has ministered to the church for generation upon generation upon generation. Why isn't it ministering to me? Maybe there's a prejudice within my heart that says, no, it's got to be hip, it's got to be rocking, it's got to be jamming before it really ministers to me. I believe that we, just all of us as a people, we have so much to learn about worship. I think the sad thing that's happening in the Christian church today in a lot of cases is the professionalism of worship. Just the professionalism of worship. And if you're not familiar with it, many of you might know that if you write, if you're an author and you write a bestseller, guess what? Your publisher wants you to write another one. And then your publisher wants you to write another one. Now, some guys can do that. Some guys can turn them out like that. But other people, they just turn them out because the publisher wants them to write it. Do you realize that in Christian music, that is also the same way? The pressure that is on Christian artists who have a recording contract with, you know, these companies. Hey, we need another album. We need another song. They don't do albums. We need another a CD. We need, you know, some more songs from you. We need you to go out on the road. We need you to have the concerts. And again, the concerts become not a whole lot different sometimes than just going to a rock concert or, you know, some other thing. I think many times we lose the heart of worship through the industry of worship. I read a phrase just this afternoon, actually. It was called, Worshiptainment, worshiptainment. So worship becomes entertainment. I want us to look at Revelation 4 here. And this is the beginning here of just displaying and showing the greatness of the worship that's going to be going on in heaven. Now, granted, Revelation speaks about all these seals and these bowls and these different things that are going on and all the bad stuff. But before we get there, and even after we get there, we're going to see a whole lot of worship happening. So looking at Revelation 4, beginning in verse 4, we're going to see the setting of this awesome worship. Let me back up. I'll just back up to verse 2, okay? I know, I know. I do that, okay? At least I'm not backing up to chapter 1, okay? Chapter 4. Verse two, John writes, immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. There was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Now, I think what John is just trying to do here is describe just the splendor and the glory of it. Ladies, when you got engaged and your husband could afford a ring for you and he could afford a nice diamond. and I mean, you know, for about two or three months until you got married, you walked around with with a problem with your hand because you wanted everybody to see that and you wanted to see the glistening and, oh, that's so beautiful, that's so beautiful. And what John is trying to say, just the splendor and the majesty of what he saw. In verse 4 now, he says, And around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. To help us in determining really this whole vision of what John is seeing here, you need to understand that chapter 4 and chapter 5 actually go together. It's an unfortunate thing that they divided four because it really is kind of the same event happening there. It just kind of flows right into it. And we're going to be touching on a couple of things in chapter 5 as we try to finish chapter 4 just to kind of help you get the understanding of it. Well, after John sees and he describes the one who is seated on the throne, and again, that is God Almighty. We understand that just from his majesty and his glory and all that's there. Then next he goes on to describe what else he saw in that area. Next he states, he says, and around the throne were 24 other thrones. And on these thrones there were 24 elders sitting. They were clothed in white robes and crowns of gold on their heads. So the very first thing that we come to and uh, into our thought is, why are there 24 thrones, and who exactly are these 24 elders? Now, that's a great question, and when you get a definitive answer for that, give me a call, okay, because, you know... I'm only saying that half-joking because actually there's a lot of different versions, a lot of different understandings of who these 24 elders are. There's a lot of different theories. Primarily it boils down to about three that seem reasonable of who these 24 elders are and why there's 24 thrones. Some say that they represent the priestly division of 24 divisions that were given in service to the temple and to the tabernacle also. And they say that this represents service to the Lord that these priests would do on a regular basis. Some say that they're angelic beings that have been given greater responsibilities or or a higher order than the others, and so they're right there seated around the throne. The third thing, and, and for me is the more plausible thing, is that they represent the redeemed. They represent the redeemed out of the 12 tribes of Israel, and also of the church, the New Testament church, with, again, the understanding of the 12 disciples, of the 12 apostles. And so it is representative of those things. Old Testament redeemed, New Testament redeemed, gathered there. Now, again, that seems to be the easiest. It seems to be the most plausible understanding of who they are. First of all, as we read through this section, to simply limit it to be symbolic of the priestly ministry of the Old Testament, well, that totally eliminates the impact of the New Testament. And you're saying, well, no, that's just all the Old Testament priests. Well, we also know in the New Testament that, again, the temple was no longer the big factor. Where is the temple now, Church? It's in our lives. It's in our hearts, right? And so, again, I really don't see that, and I see that as one of the weakest arguments that that would be representative of the 24 divisions of the priest. The next thing, they're seated on thrones, and a throne is a place of ruling authority, okay? If you're seated in the kingdom, it is the throne that gives authority, and nowhere do we ever see angels taking that type of position. They are representatives, they are ambassadors of the one who rules. and But they themselves, again, although they're mighty, although they're powerful, they are overwhelming, you know, when they come into human presence, they're always walking in humility. They always, again, knowing the sin of their predecessor, of Lucifer, so that's why they, I believe, continually walk in humility. And somebody goes to bow down before an angel. What does that angel say, Church? Whoa, 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 whoa! Not, not me. Uh, uh-uh. don't bow down to me. I'm, I'm just the messenger. I mean, they're very quick about that. I believe because they are very cognizant of the sin of Lucifer, who lifted himself up. And who declared, I will ascend on high. As a matter of fact, you don't need to turn there, but Isaiah chapter 14, beginning in 13, we read these words. Speaking to Lucifer, you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. It's interesting. Lucifer says, I will be, I will be, I will be. Jesus says, I am, I am, I am. Lucifer sinned in trying to take that leadership place not walking in humility, but wanting the the authority, wanting the power. So I don't believe that these are angels sitting on thrones. I don't believe an angel in heaven will be sitting on a throne. That leads us to the third option. Again, that the 24 elders seated on the throne, they're human in nature, and we'll look at that a little bit later. I believe that they represent, again, the redeemed of both Old and New testament. But let's look at who they are and look at, again, what we know about them. Number one, they are regal in appearance. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, we read, Then from Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has, what? Made us kings and priests, to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. These 24 that were seated there, they were clothed in white robes. Let me just ask this. Ladies, why does a bride wear a white gown? Stands for purity. These are in white robes. Stands for the purity. Again, we read in the New Testament that we are, as believers... Washed in the blood of the Lamb. He has cleansed us. He has made us pure through the blood of the Lamb. He has then clothed us in what? In righteousness. So we see all of this here. Isaiah 61.10 declares, For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. Another thing we see here of these elders. There's crowns of gold on their heads we never see angels with crowns okay this has to be human in nature and although these crowns again they would signify royalty or they would signify that they were rulers this particular crown is actually significantly different John uses a specific Greek word signifying or representing these crowns and it is the word that's used for the victors of the Greek games, not someone ruling. He uses the word Stephanos. It's the victor's crown that they are wearing. These victor's crowns of gold on their heads. He didn't use the word describing the ruler. That would have been diadem in the Greek, okay? These crowns that these guys were wearing, they represented the ones who had run the race and were victorious. So again, helping us to see it. Finally, if we look ahead into chapter 5, we read that these four living creatures that we're going to look at in a little bit and the 24 elders, but not the angels, fall before the Lamb and they sing out. Look at that, if you would, in chapter 5, over in verse 9. In fact, I'll back up to 8. Okay, When the Lamb had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp, Golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy. Now, did you catch that? They sang a new song. But I like the old ones more. Okay, okay. They sang a new song. You might have to learn a new song even when you get to heaven, okay? They sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. They are the redeemed. The elders are the redeemed. And you have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. We see again where the elders and the angels are two distinct groups. In Revelation 5:11, John says, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, and the elders. So the creatures that we're going to talk about in a little bit, and the elders, and the angels. Three separate groups. Over in chapter 7, verse 11, he says, All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders, and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. Understanding, this is coming from the throne, the singular, not the 24 thrones. This throne that we speak about here again of almighty god it's the throne that we're going to see here where it says in verse five from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of god that's not the elders thrones no now we're going back to the throne of god this again these lightnings, these thunders, these voices, that speaks about the awfulness of God. And when I say awfulness, it's A-W-E dash F-U-L-L-N-E-S-S, awfulness of God. The lightnings, the thunders, the voices, all of this. It's the very same thing that brought fear to the children of Israel back on Mount Sinai. Remember when they went to the base of Mount Sinai and there in Exodus chapter 20, verse 18 and 19, we read, Now all the people, as they're at the base of Mount Sinai, it says they witnessed the thunderings and the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they trembled and they stood afar off. And they said to Moses, "Uh, You go up there. We're not going up there. He says, You speak for us and we'll hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. It was the same kind of thing when we look at the thunders and the lightnings, everything that John is seeing at that throne. It's the same kind of thing that the glory of God filled the tabernacle of meeting.
0: The letters to the churches found in Revelation 2 and 3 repeat the phrase, To the one who overcomes, followed with a promise centered in God's goodness to his people. What does overcoming look like for you today? Maybe it's just getting up in the morning, getting dressed, and going out into life. Maybe it's continuing to sing his praises even through a tough circumstance. Maybe overcoming today is holding on to that small hope that tomorrow can be a better day in your marriage. Take some time today to check out those promises, remembering to hold on to Jesus because he is our hope. We're so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word. We know that life is tough. But doing life in community can make even the hardest situation more bearable. With that in mind, here's Pastor David with an invitation for you. Hey, if you're in the Casa
1: Grande area and you're looking for a church to attend, I'd love to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. At 6.30 p.m., we meet on Wednesday evenings and Saturday evenings. You can find directions and a little more about the church by visiting theopenword.com. Follow the links at the bottom of the page... To Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I'm excited to have you be a part of our time of Bible study and fellowship. Our website, one more time, is theopenword.com. Information about the church is at the bottom of that page, the link for Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande.
0: Thanks, Pastor David. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Pastor David still has much to share, though, so be sure to tune in again to continue walking verse by verse through Revelation. That's right here on The Open Word.